We're going to be in the book of Mark this morning, Mark chapter three, starting in verse seven. If you want to turn with me there and uh, Ian Garcia and Dominic are going to be preaching the passages just prior to this one. And then after this passage, uh, Zach will be preaching on the parable of the sower and then. Micah has a different passage a little further in Mark, but so we're going to be in Mark a lot today. So if you want to get more, come back tonight. Excited to have those guys speaking. Be an encouragement to them. I encourage you to come and be an encouragement to them. Uh, I've already heard them speak, and I can tell you they've done better than I did on my first sermon. Let's just put it that way. All right, so Mark chapter 3, we're going to be beginning in verse 7. Before we read that passage, uh, you may have had someone in your community or in your life at some point uh, that you heard about things that, that they had done, heroic feats like folk tales and that type of thing. And in my life, the person that kind of fits that bill Growing up in the late 80s and early 90s was a fellow named Bo Jackson. Okay, Bo Jackson was is is the greatest athlete of my lifetime and maybe the greatest athlete ever. I mean, it's just the stories about him are endless. Uh, fantastic football player, also a fantastic baseball player. And there's just if you look up highlights on Bo Jackson, there's all kinds of things he he Spider-Man up a wall and made a catch one time. He threw a guy out from the outfield that was really fast. I mean, he's just a superior athlete. And the stories go on and on about him. And uh, I just heard a new one this past week that in high school, he hit an infield pop-up that went so high that he was rounding third when they caught it. Okay. Now, we laugh. You Or you laugh. I don't laugh because I know Bo Jackson. No, I don't know Bo Jackson. But the the author that wrote a biography of him went and verified that, that that's actually happened. Okay, uh, he was so fast and so strong. Uh, hit a, hit an, uh, he he played two sports: uh, baseball first, then football. So he he played uh, in his first All Star game, his first at bat. He hit a home run. Uh, then he played an abbreviated football season. I think he only played nine games for the Raiders, and uh, he uh, made the. He was an all-star in baseball and an all-pro in football in an abbreviated, abbreviated season. Just an incredible, incredible athlete. And the question, of course, running through the late '80s and early '90s, was: Did he get that ability legitimately? Like, is, was he just born? Country strong like that? I mean, was that is his abilities come from God or were they enhanced by steroids? Right. And I'm not here to argue for or against Bo Jackson's steroid use or non steroid use at all. Okay, so I'm not even going to address that issue. But that was kind of like what was the source of his power? Because he seemed just above everyone athletically. And we're going to come into this passage this morning in a message I've entitled, Are You in Jesus' Family? But, but one of the questions is going to be, Jesus is doing great things, but the people are questioning how. How's he doing these great things? And we'll see that as we get into the passage. But just in our introduction here, let's go ahead and read the verses 7 through 12. 
And I hope that you can see that this is what is going on. Uh, Previous to this passage, the scribes and the Pharisees have evaluated Jesus. And the last thing that we're told just prior to this is that uh, the Pharisees conspired with the Herodians on how they might destroy Jesus. Okay, so they've made up their mind. They're going to destroy Jesus. And so the leadership of Israel has turned against Jesus. He's not the Messiah they were looking for. Okay. And so we find then in verse seven that Jesus withdrew his disciples to the sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. So he's going back to his home area and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea. That's south of there and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon, Gentile territories, all kinds of people are coming to to the Sea of Galilee to see Jesus. Why? Well, it's because when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. They wanted to see it for themselves. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, just a few things to note in this passage. The crowd has heard about this. They're coming to him. Now, prior to this, Jesus has already determined that the message that he came to preach about the kingdom is more important than the miracles. And we see that decision partly here because he's going to be in a boat teaching from the sea and the people are going to be gathered on the land so that he can teach. That's the priority. The priority is his message of his kingdom. Now, the message is more important than the the miracles. Then we also see here that what we call the messianic secret, the the spirits are coming out and they're crying out, you are the son of God. And and the book of Mark starts with that statement that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And, And then no human recognizes Jesus as the Son of God. So the the book of Mark is written to convince the early church that Jesus is the Son of God. One of the main purposes of the Gospel of Mark. And so here again, though, we see that demons recognize him. and, And so they say this and Jesus tells them to be quiet. Now, that's because he's got a plan. Jesus is going to reveal himself when he's ready. And so he silences these spirits and says, don't say anything. He's got his plans, just like you planning a secret birthday party, right? You're, you're telling people you need to be here and here and here and, and you get this and you get that, but you don't tell your spouse or whoever you're trying to surprise, right? Because it's not time to reveal. And so Jesus says, Jesus, it's not time for him to reveal himself to the people. So We see here the testimony of demons is not how Jesus plans to make himself known. But make no mistake, the demons are correct. Jesus is the son of God. And as we get into the rest of this passage, I want to call us back to the book of Exodus. Right. We we have the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt. And then we have the, the battle with with Egypt and God basically Leaves them decreated. He takes Israel through the Red Sea and he's called his people out of Egypt to worship him on Mount Sinai. 
he meets with them on Mount Sinai and he gives them the law. Notice what Jesus does in Mark 3.13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Here the Son of God calls a group of people whom he desired from the great crowd to meet him on a mountain. Here we see the doctrine of election in action. Jesus chooses a group of people. And he calls them out of the world to himself. And I've included on your handout an article on salvation and its different aspects, right? Read that after the service. Don't read it right now. Pay attention. Okay. But I've given that to you so you can read a little bit more about it. We don't have time to go into all the details of election and how it works. But we see it happening here. He calls to himself those whom he desires. And then we see... That he appoints leaders of his family. Look at verses 14 through 19. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12 Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. (laughs) We see here Jesus is appointing 12 apostles. This is a new Israel that's being formed. It's a new people that he's called out of the world to worship him. Right. That's the picture, that's the imagery we pull in from Exodus. God is the one that met Moses and the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. Jesus is calling the people to himself. And then he's appointing them 12 leaders, 12 leaders of his tribe. These leaders are to live with him. What's the purpose of living with him? Is so they can observe him and that he can teach them. And after they observe his life and and he teaches them, He's going to send them to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And then he's going to also give them spiritual authority over the unclean spirits. So it's through his people that Jesus chooses to make himself known. It's similar for us today. We are to make disciples by giving the gospel to people. They hear, they repent of their sins, and they trust Christ as their Savior. And then... We bring them into the church, they join the church, and then they learn about Jesus, and they grow. And then some of them get sent out to go plant churches or share the gospel with other people, and the church grows that way. So the cycle repeats itself until the new creation. So Jesus, then the disciples, the disciples then go out and they appoint elders in churches, and the elders in churches appoint other elders, and the cycle goes on. So Jesus, we see here, is the Son of God who's calling out of the world a new family for himself. But the Jewish authorities have determined that Jesus must be destroyed. And part of their plan was to spread a false testimony about Jesus through their communities. It says in verse 20, it says, Then Jesus went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they couldn't even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. 
And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by, El- by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. So we have a few things here going on. First of all, his family says he's a lunatic. Now, there's controversy. Could have been the people were saying he's a lunatic, and so the family goes to get him. Or was it the family that was saying it, and then they're going to go get him? I kind of tend to lean towards the fact that his family hears about this, they're concerned about him, and they say he's out of his mind. Because at this point, his family doesn't believe. Okay, Now, eventually they do, but at this point they don't. So he's out of his mind. He's beside himself. He's a lunatic. So there's people saying that. If we think back to the Bo Jackson example, there's people saying, mm, no, nobody's that strong. Right. Then the scribes say he's possessed by Beelzebub. Now, that's just the Lord of the flies, if you will. It's a it's a it's a slam on Jesus in that they're saying that he's like Satan, the prince of demons, which we find in the next verse. His authority is via the prince of demons. In other words, you've got the prince of demons and then there's Jesus. And then the prince of demons has allowed him to tell the other demons what to do because what has just happened is he's cast out demons and the demons are saying he's the son of God. And so the Pharisees and the scribes and these guys, they're saying, no, 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 no. His power comes from Satan. Like he's on spiritual steroids. He's he's got a false, uh, a false authority. So then Jesus addresses these spreading false testimony about him about who he is and the source of his power and authority. And he does it by addressing his enemies in parables. Now, if you want to find out exactly why uh, Jesus is teaching in parables, come back tonight because Zach is going to reveal that to you. Uh, And uh, so that's another reason for you to come back tonight and listen to the young men speak. But he's addressing them in parables. Look at verse 23 through 26. He called them to him. So it's like Jesus is in his house And they're out there spreading these rumors. And he says, hey, listen, go tell those guys I need to talk to them." So these scribes and Pharisees come to them. He called he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Satan's kingdom and Satan's household, Jesus says, if he's divided about what he's doing, his kingdom would come to an end. But his kingdom obviously hasn't come to an end because I'm still out here casting out demons. Satan is not divided against himself. It's not ending yet. Yet. There is coming a day. But there are still people with unclean spirits all around Jesus. Satan's kingdom is not divided and Jesus is not team Satan. So how come Jesus can cast out unclean spirits like he did in verse 11? Well, look at verse 27. Jesus tells us, says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Who's the strong man in this issue? Wrong answer. It's not Jesus. Who else would it be? Satan. Satan is the strong man. Jesus is the one who comes in and binds the strong man and is plundering his house. 
He is freeing people from the control of Satan. Remember, the guys that were possessed with demons, he's freeing them from Satan's control. And so, if you think Satan's strong, look how strong Jesus is, right? You may have heard somebody say something like this. It doesn't matter if you punch a wall or a man. You better hope you don't hit a stud. Okay. doesn't matter if you punch a wall or a man. You better hope you don't hit a stud. And so Satan is coming at Jesus, but Jesus is taking him. He's binding him up and he's taking his people out from under his reign and placing them into his kingdom. Jesus wins, folks. Jesus is more powerful than Satan and is plundering his house of people. He is the Son of God who is calling out of Satan's kingdom a new family for himself. And Jesus extends forgiveness to all who believe the Holy Spirit's testimony about him. Look at verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, truly, I say to you. Now, that word truly is translating the word amen in the Greek. The same word we use when we close our prayers. Truly, I say to you. Listen to me. This is this is important. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Why? For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Here we have what's sometimes referred to as the unpardonable sin. And there are people who worry, have I committed the unpardonable sin and now I won't be able to go to heaven? Look, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and you're wrestling with whether you've committed the unpardonable sin, the fact that you're wrestling with your sin is an indication that you're truly one of God's children, right? We're not comfortable with our sin and sinning. And so God is offering here forgiveness to all. Some have thought that suicide is an unforgivable sin. And, and look, if you, if you had suicidal thoughts, don't don't commit suicide. Okay, Get some help. Right. Those aren't natural thoughts. Right. So get some help. But I want you to understand that suicide can't keep you from being with God. There are people that go through extreme bouts of depression and difficulties, and sometimes it ends in suicide. But if they are truly one of God's, they will remain one of God's. Who he, who he grasps with his hands, he doesn't let go. So then, what is this unforgivable sin? Well, what we have is we have the spiritual leadership here, and we have this, we have this great crowd, and they've come, and they're like, how is he doing that? Right. The, the crowd gathers, number one, to see, is he really doing this? Is, is this really true, what he's doing? And then they see him doing these things, and they're just like, okay, well, now how is he doing that? And then the scribes and the Pharisees show up, and it's just like on uh, Family Feud, right? They're saying, how, top five answers on the board, or top, let's go with top two answers on the board. How is Jesus casting out demons? And then, He's doing it by the power of Satan. Survey says, big X. No, that's wrong. That's, that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because when Jesus was baptized 
In the beginning of the book of Mark, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he began to follow the Spirit's leading. He's a Spirit-led man and he's empowered. And the Spirit, it's his job in the Trinity is to make Jesus. He points people to Jesus and says, hey, look, this is the Son of God who's dying, going to die for your sins. He is who he says he is. And that's his testimony. And the scribes are saying to the people, no, no, no. They're leading people to hell with their testimony. And you may say to me about all these religious leaders and their good intentions and everything else. But if they're not pointing people to Jesus, then they're pointing them to hell. And that's that's something that will not be forgiven unless they repent. Because we have the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. What was he doing to Christians? He was persecuting them. He went in and he would arrest them and throw them in jail. He beat some of them. He was standing by when Stephen was stoned to death. He's doing all that. And then God knocked him off his horse one day and says, hey, why why are you persecuting me? And Paul repents. And he believes the testimony of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals that Jesus is the Son of God. And those who confess that will have all their sins forgiven. No matter how bad. No matter how many. You may be here this morning and you may be saying, Pastor, I've done some really, really bad things. There's no way God will forgive me. Yes. Yes, there is a way. You say, Pastor, I've committed so many sins. There's just no way. Yes. Yes, there is. All sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter. You may have lived a blasphemous life before this moment, but God will forgive you if you believe the Spirit's testimony. Now, if you believe the testimony of the scribes and Pharisees, that he's, he, he did some wonderful things, but he was powered by Satan, no. Or you may believe what his family said here. Well, he was just a lunatic. He was just a guy that thought he was God. He did a lot of good things, but he just thought he was God. He was, but he's really a lunatic. I think, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said Jesus, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He either said he was God and he's not, which makes him a liar. He may have been a lunatic. He may have been crazy and said those things. Or he may have been telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, he's the Lord. I'm here to tell you this morning, he is the Lord. The Holy Spirit says he is the Lord. Believe the Holy Spirit's testimony. He died in our place. It's, it's the doctrine called substitutionary atonement. Atonement, think of it as, if you break it down, at one month. It's, it's bringing, bringing warring parties together as one. Atonement. We were enemies of God. But God gave His Son to die for our sins. And He resurrected Him to be with Him. That if we place our faith in Him as the substitution for our sins, the sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath against our sins, then God joins us to him and we're saved. Substitutionary atonement. We are reconciled with God. Once enemies, now reconciled. It's a great doctrine. But spiritual leaders like the scribes who blaspheme the Holy Spirit's work 
and lead people astray, they will not find forgiveness. They will be punished in hell for eternity. And if you don't believe the Holy Spirit's testimony that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did, you will suffer in eternity. I urge you this morning, repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. He will forgive you all your sins. It's incredible. I know. It's hard to believe. I know. But it's true. That's why the gospel is called good news. You can have your sins forgiven. All of them. Jesus is the Son of God who is calling out of the world a new forgiven family for himself. But how can we tell who's a member of his family? Well, let's keep reading here. Verses 31 through 35. It says, And his mothers and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The family of Jesus, the ones he called to himself and forgave their sins, they are recognized by their obedience to the will of God. This is what we call sanctification. And again, that's in that article that you're going to read after the service. This is our sanctification. Once we're justified, declared righteous by God, then our lives begin this process of being changed into the image of God. It's sanctification. What about you this morning? Are you doing the will of God? Like, can people recognize that you're a Christian in the fact that you are living in obedience to God's word? Or if they looked at you, would they say, well, they may say they're a Christian, but, you know, I see them. They're kind of they're living in fornication, adultery, drunkenness, greed. I don't know. What about you? Are you doing the will of God? First Thessalonians four verses three through eight. That's in your handout there. Talks about the will of God. First Thessalonians four, three through eight. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he drills down into that a little bit more that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, that's all kinds of sexual sins. But not only that, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Verse six, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Are you following Jesus? Are you being sanctified? Sanctified were set aside for God's purpose. He saves you for a purpose. He doesn't save you by good works. It's by faith. But he does save you for good works to change you into the image of his son. And Paul's warning here is if, is if you're just living your life like the unsaved world, that's a real good indication you're despising God. 
If you're despising God, that's a good indication. You're not really born again because he's given his spirit to you. And the spirit points us to Jesus and says, that's the son of God. He's your king. He's your Lord. Follow him. Has there been a change to be more Christ-like since you first believed in Jesus? Like if you were to say to me, Pastor, I got saved on this day or around this time. Has there been a change in your life since then? Or do you find yourself pretty much like the world except for you go to church on Sunday? If you haven't seen some growth in your life, and I'm not saying being perfect. Look, I don't, I'm not perfect. But I'm not the man I used to be. Like, you didn't know me 20-some-odd years ago when I got saved. God had a lot of work to do. I'm not the man I should be, but I'm not the man I was. That's changing me. <coughs> Is he changing you? That's the challenge we see here. In this passage, for whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. That's how you're, you're recognized by us. Right? God knows who are his. He called them to him and he saved them. But how do we know? Well, doing the will of God. So was there was there an athlete in your life or someone, maybe even an engineer or something that did something spectacular? And you wondered about where their power came from. Well, Jesus is the son of God who has power over unclean spirits and who frees people from Satan's control by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you heard all that Jesus has done? Do you believe that he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that he is who he says he is? If you've never done that before, I urge you now, repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus is the Son of God who's calling out of the world and out from under Satan's kingdom a new family that is forgiven. And they're for Him. And they're recognized by their obedience to the will of God. What testimony do you believe about Jesus? Are you obedient to the will of God? Are you learning more about Christ so that you can trust Him more and tell others about Him? Are you living with Jesus, if you will, and His people and learning about Him? And telling others about him. There may be some of you here this morning. You're Christians. You know you're Christians. You've been going through a tough time. I want you to be encouraged. You are a child of God. Jesus has power of the devil. The forces of evil and human enemies of God. <laughs> Don't believe the people who claim that Jesus was not the son of God. He is. He has all power. And he will one day deliver us. Safely to himself for all eternity. To live in the new creation with Him. Oh, what a God. Are you in Jesus' family? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and what it reveals to us about Jesus. And empowered by Your Holy Spirit, I know You open our eyes to see Jesus. And how wonderful He is. And to see our sin and how great it is. But then to know that all that that can be forgiven through Jesus dying as our substitute and in our place. Father, we rejoice in your salvation. Grow us, we ask, to be more like our spiritual Father, Jesus, as we are part of His family. And help us to love one another like family. And help one another to grow in the likeness and image of Jesus. And Father, for those here this morning who are spiritually dead, I pray that you will open their eyes 
Help them to repent of their sin. Help them to see how great it is and how great their need for a Savior is. And that they'll repent and follow. And Father, for those who are Christians, or at least claiming to be Christians, but living in sin, I hope this morning you've opened their eyes that they need to do your will. That is expected of them as a member of your family. Father, I pray that you will crush their evil desires and help them to see how glorious Jesus is and glorious your plan of salvation is and that they will adore you and become more like you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.